Welcome to the Climb Podcast. I'm Lynn Robbins. Joining me in the studio today is Heidi Combs. Hi, Heidi. Hi, Lynn. Heidi is an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Washington School of Medicine. So I have to say, Heidi, when I told somebody I was doing a podcast on remediation, the first reaction I got was, what does that mean? What is remediation? (laughs) So in education, we think about it as identifying a problem, a concern, and identifying what to do about it. There's something that's problematic that needs to be improved in some way or corrected in some way. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, what is the difference mm-hmm. between feedback and remediation? Right. So remediation is like you've given all the feedback you can possibly give. and Yeah, or it may be that there's a pattern there. Even if you haven't given feedback, you're now identifying that this is a problematic pattern. And you may need more than just simple feedback. You may need a a remediation plan in order to kind of right the ship for this person. Sounds pretty serious. No, it doesn't have to be serious. No, it doesn't have to be serious. (laughs) (laughs) Really? So there's some remediation that doesn't imply a major issue? Right. It doesn't mean it's super serious. It means that you may need a more formal process oh. to allow a learner to develop. Sometimes you just there's a, there's a simple thing. You give feedback. Learner is able to hear the feedback, apply the feedback, and change behavior. If that isn't working, they actually need a more structured way to change an attitude or a skill or a knowledge base. So you may need a more formal plan to move the learner along. doesn't mean necessarily that they're in big trouble. It just means you may need a more formal method of helping the learner identify where they're struggling and then how to move them along. Okay, so like once you decide that remediation is necessary, so what do you do next? Even before I decide if it's necessary, the first thing I need to decide how do I know that it's actually necessary? Okay. So I'll step back a little bit. Okay. So I think the first thing to think about when you're trying to determine if remediation is needed is, is there really a problem? So everyone can have a bad day. And sometimes when you're an instructor, when you're trying to teach someone something, you're seeing them doing something and you're like, what is going on there? It may be just that they're actually having a bad day and you don't need to do anything. Maybe. You just reflect, geez, how do you think things are going today? And the learner says, oh my gosh, this is not my best day. You're on the same page. Nothing else needs to be done. So the first thing you need to do is identify, is this really a one-off or is there actually really a potential pattern? Then if it's a pattern, is this actually a problematic pattern? Is this person doing this in a way that's different than I do, but they actually achieve the same goal? So it's a stylistic difference. Not necessarily something I need to remediate then. It's something I need to be conscious of. This person does it differently than I. Maybe that's okay. So that's the second thing I would also think about. Then if I'm deciding, I actually don't think this is a stylistic difference necessarily, or maybe it's a stylistic difference, but in fact there is a problem. Like this doesn't seem to be allowing the learner to achieve whatever it is that they need to achieve, so that there is a problem that I think needs to remediation. My next step in, in in this process then is to sit with a learner and then try to get on the same page. So I'll tell the learner I want to talk with them and then I will ask them how they think things are going with a, in a specific area. Mm-hmm. Not like, gee, how do you think things are going? They're going to be like, well, fine, because why are we talking? So the first thing to do is I'll try to solicit what their understanding is of this specific 
attitude, skill, knowledge, whatever it is that we've uh, that I've brought up. I will then reflect to them what my experience has been in this specific area. And I say specific because if you just talk in general terms, oftentimes when you're to the point of remediation, they will not understand what you're talking about if you don't have very specific examples. The hope is at this point, you have solicited where, where they're coming from, what their understanding is of what's going on. You have provided them examples and then you're trying to get to common ground. Mm-hmm. So that's the next step is, is trying to get to common ground. Then after that, then you can sort out on the type of deficit that the person has and then come up with your remediation plan. Sounds like you have to be pretty familiar with your learner. How easy is it to observe a learner over time in a clerkship? I have the luxury in the clerkship that I'm on, which is psychiatry, that the students uh, round as part of the whole team and interview their patients with the team present. Mm -hmm. If you are not consistently watching a student, if you're planning to give them uh, information about the way they give do interviews, for example, mm-hmm. I don't know how you would do that unless you observe them. Like you can't, you can't imply or infer based on what you see in the chart. You mm-hmm. have to actually observe it. In order for a learner to really accept and tolerate sitting down and talking about this problematic behavior, mm-hmm. the student has to know that you've actually witnessed them, understand kind of what the expectations are, what the situation is. So do you find yourself taking notes every time you go out with a learner? Absolutely. Just today I rounded with my team and I wrote notes about things that my resident did and I wrote things about what my medical student did, both effective interactions and also things in the interview that I think other approaches might be more effective. And then I've already met with my both of my learners today after rounds and given them that information. So that's an example of feedback. But if there was something problematic, I would have kept track of those things so that when I sat down with a student or resident that I could bring those things out. Specific information, specific examples that are timely are much easier for a learner to grasp than these general, gee, you need to do a better job on your interviewing, for example. So what have you found to be most helpful in uh-huh. communicating with learners uh-huh. about their deficits and their needs for remediation? The single most important thing is a trusted, respectful environment. If they understand that the information you're giving them is to make them better, they're all for that. They want that. If they feel like you actually don't have their best interest at heart and that you're just grumpy and that you're just lashing out or um, being disrespectful, they will not hear what you say. And in fact, they could potentially identify it as feeling mistreated by you mm-hmm. rather than actually being helped and, and developed by you. One of the challenges, I think, when you're, when you're coming up with a remediation plan with someone or you're thinking someone has a pattern that needs to be remediated or you're going to give someone feedback, it's easy to think they're doing this because... Mm-hmm. You have no idea why someone's doing something. You have no idea. You have to ask them. You have to ask them why they're doing those things. Because you can come up on this, you can go off on this whole tangent about this and this and this is what they need to do, but the reason they're doing it is completely different. So the the feedback, the remediation needs to be totally different than where you're at. Do you run across students who are resistant to the idea of remediation? Oh, yeah. A lot of students when they've gotten this far have been highly successful. So they're usually doing things the way they do it and they're very successful about it. And sometimes they're not like really buying that there's a 
different way to do it because, well, they do it and it works. Sometimes there can be resistance because students can get mixed messages depending on who they're working with. I had a great example of this. Super bright student, uh, really was not just assertive, she was actually aggressive mm -hmm. to the point where it was off-putting and I watched other people on the team and I could see that that their interactions were, it was, they were being, it was off-putting to them. I watched, determined I thought this was a pattern, I had given some feedback, kind of in a gentle way, no change. So I sat the person down um, and gave very direct feedback that uh, I watched these interactions, I felt they were beyond just assertive that they were aggressive, and before I could actually get the rest of my comment out, she said, but other people on my other rotations told me that they really liked that about me, that I was really kind of in there taking care of business and getting things done. So for her, she was resistant to the idea of what I was telling her because she'd gotten reinforcement from others that this was the way to do things. So then I reflected to her, in this setting, I watch patients shut off. I watch other people on our team shut down. So part of your challenge as a physician is to have a different way of being in different situations. Then when she understood why I was giving her this information, the resistance reduced. Uh, so I do think they really believe I'm doing this because I think it's going to develop them in their career to be the most effective that they can. It's hard to argue with that. Mm -hmm. It's hard to disagree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So you've not run across a student, for example, who's incompetent and unaware? I have. I had a student, for example, that was actually from an outside institution doing an away rotation and just wreaked havoc on the unit. I had every single attending resident coming to complain to me. It was just a hot mess. So everyone was unhappy. So one of my very effective uh, colleagues had sat down and given him feedback, uh, come up with a kind of a plan, uh, no behavior change. I then sat this person down and uh, reviewed some of the what I had heard, tried to get their perspective. Their perspective was that they had received no feedback from anyone, even though I was well aware that they had received feedback. Uh, and I think this person was someone who had a very difficult time reading social cues mm -hmm. and actually getting reading the room was unable to do so. So I came up with very, very concrete plans for this person because they were unable to generate any of their own. I said, you will not walk away when someone is talking to you. You will not roll your eyes when someone gives you information. You will, I mean, very specific things. And then let them know that they had a specific number of days in which to make movement in a positive direction with these clear expectations. And then uh, I said, we will revisit these again. And if these have not changed, you will fail the rotation. And then you'll be asked to leave. So I think that was an example of someone who feedback was given, it wasn't working, so then we had to do remediation with a very clear plan, uh, expectations, and consequences. So what kind of supports are there for people who discover that remediation needs to be part of their repertoire? Where would you go to learn? And I think you can, there's books you can read on about it. You can go to conferences about this. You can listen to this podcast. You can reach out to, the School of Medicine has many people who have an interest in remediation and feedback. You don't have to do it all by yourself. You can do as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And then you may have to refer the person on. If this person's, for example, if this person's really burned out, your job is not to become their therapist. Your job is to help 
help if there's a problem, work with the student to clarify what the problem is, come up with what would be most helpful for them for support around this. And some of it isn't going to be you, potentially. Mm -hmm. okay. It may be the counseling services. A great example, I've had students, very smart, get totally overwhelmed because there's too many things that they have to keep track of and they don't have any understanding of how to prior prioritize things. Maybe my intern is the best person to talk mm -hmm. with them about that because they are like the masters of, of balancing lots of competing things. But maybe they actually need to talk to the, what do we call it, the learning specialist for the medical school. It may be that they, they need help with a structure for managing complex, multiple complex tasks, and they've just never really actually mastered that before. So there's, I think you do what you can, but also identify that at some point you may need to call in others for assistance or refer the student on somewhere for more specialized support, uh, and then getting yourself trained in how to do this. There's there's lots of resources out there. Now that's really helpful because I think a lot of people don't want to go down the road of remediation. They avoid it because they themselves feel like it, they're out of their depth. Many people have those skills. It's more getting comfortable with these discussions sometimes, which can be uncomfortable. I had this student who was, I felt was aggressive rather than just assertive at times. And I spent time thinking about how best to deliver this and have this discussion with her because I felt like if, if I wasn't effective, then she's not going to hear what I'm saying, and then I'm not helpful, right? That's not going to help her if, if I can help her see that I think there's an attitude that could be shifted that would make her more effective. And she thanked me. We, we had the session. She thanked me. She immediately changed her behavior and was very effective. Just by chance, she ended up being roommates with a student I had the following year, and she told her roommate, she said, I so liked working with Dr. Combs. She gave me the best feedback I ever got. The best gift you can give for your student is when you have these discussions that are hard to have, to have them. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I think it's also good advice to remember that you don't have to know everything. No. And because I know some people also, I mean, we, we say that knowledge deficits are easy, but sometimes it's a cognitive deficit. Sometimes, right? Right. And you have to be able to distinguish. Right, right. And if I have a concern uh, with a learner, again, I, the first person I may reach out to is their college mentor. They know them way better than I know them. If they think, oh yeah, there is something, I think this is a, this is a pattern, then we can figure out, okay, is, is there someone within the School of Medicine that I can pull in at this point? I'm obviously ta telling the medical student that I'm doing this because I don't want this to be some, oh gee, I've been talking behind your back thing. Mm -hmm. That's not helpful. Yeah. But I think uh, another thing, oh, I'm glad you mentioned this, Lynn. Another thing that I think is important is if you need to do something, do something early. Don't mm -hmm. wait too long because then you just don't have enough time. So you... Um if you did just have a few minutes to share mm -hmm. <clears throat> some tips or pearls with colleagues who might be reticent mm -hmm. to engage in remediation, I mean, what are some of the things that you would tell them? First thing I would tell them is uh, always keep in mind where your learner is coming from, that the student is here to learn, and you and, and really believe that they're doing the best they can. I think that's just a pearl to keep in the back pocket always. Uh, secondly, Keep an eye out, write things down. Don't think they're gonna remember them in your head. Write things down. If, if something catches catches you and somewhere you're like, hmm, watch for it again, write it down specifically, 
Potentially, you may give the person feedback right then. That's an example of giving them feedback, so you hopefully would not have to then step into remediation. So do something early. Feedback mm -hmm. often that's specific. And then if you're starting to see a pattern, you've given feedback, things aren't changing, then it may be time to consider remediation and then go through the steps. Step back, is this a pattern? What is a pattern? Where is the deficit? Getting on the same page as the learner and coming up with a plan mm -hmm. and doing it relatively early rather than waiting weeks and realizing that any person has the skill set to do this. This is not rocket science. There's pretty clear steps that you can take. It's just open communication with someone. And I think another thing is try not to get too attached to what you think is going on. I think we get this, we can build this whole narrative in our head, um, crawl up the ladder of inference, and we're so far away from what actually is mm -hmm. what's going on with the learner that I, I think you always don't get too attached to a specific reason why you think this is going on. Just again, something's going on, let's early sit down, let's sort it out what's going on so we can come up with a plan to make things better. Well, thanks so much for coming in today and talking to us about remediation. I hope this allays people's fears about going into the process. I hope so. I hope so. I'm hoping that if people have a bit of a framework on how to think about remediation and kind of some steps, that they'll feel a little bit more confident about it because, again, everybody has this skill set. Effective feedback and remediation when needed is probably the best thing we could do for our learners. Heidi and I spoke a few weeks after we completed our podcasting session, and she wanted me to be sure to add that in some cases, remediation plans may need to be revised based on scheduled discussions with your learner. We didn't explicitly address this final step when we met. So to summarize, here are the four steps for remediation. One, determine if a learner exhibits a problematic pattern of behavior. Two, diagnose the deficit domain. Is it their knowledge, skills, or attitude? Three, jointly formulate a remediation plan with your learner. Four, create a schedule for following up with your learner to assess whether the remediation plan is effective or whether you may need to adjust it. We hope you have enjoyed this ClimbCast. Check out our other ClimbCasts on how to teach effectively and efficiently in busy clinical settings.